welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today we welcome Dr. Jeffrey Lazarus. He treats children, adolescents, and adults for conditions that traditional Western medicine either doesn't help or for which there are undesirable side effects. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Jeff, thank you for, for being on the show. Um, I'm going to disagree with Tom just a little bit. I have come to the conclusion that what we're doing with the generalized approach of calming down the ner- nerve system is actually mainstream medicine. And to me, this is not alternative medicine. This is the way medicine is supposed to be practiced. But I met Jeff about eight or nine years ago at a Dr. David Burns workshop. And at the noon hour, he presented a case that he'll relate to later of a woman or young girl, I think about 14 years old, with severe Tourette syndrome. And it was a stunning video. I had to meet him. Then I didn't really understand the role of medical hypnosis until a few years after that. And he and I have kept in close touch. I've since moved to the Bay Area, and he's located in Menlo Park in private practice. But he's a pediatrician. He specializes in all sorts of chronic conditions, including the bedwetting situation, um, irritable bowel syndrome, um, tics like Tourette's syndrome and without Tourette's syndrome, performance anxiety, chronic pain. And he's got a remarkably effective approach. He's a huge resource to the Bay Area, and I am excited to have him on the show. So thanks for being with us, Jeff. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm honored and grateful to, to be included in your, in your show. Thank you both. So Jeff, you started out as a pediatrician. I'm curious is what pulled you into the medical hypnosis world, which is not nearly well enough re- represented in medicine. Exactly. So I did my residency in pediatrics at Stanford years ago. Then I practiced general pediatrics in Cleveland, Ohio for many years. And the reason I got into hypnosis was because I had had plantar warts warts on the bottom of my foot. And I had seen my friend, the dermatologist in Cleveland, and he did the standard treatment, put, uh, he froze them, he put topical medications on them. And after meeting with him every three or four weeks for 15 months, including driving through the snow in Cleveland, they were unchanged. And I was very frustrated. And then I remembered many years previously, I'd had a little five-year-old boy in my practice who had had hundreds of warts on the backs of his hands. They were terribly disfiguring. He'd been to several dermatologists. He'd even gone to a surgeon who wanted to put him under general anesthesia and remove them. And then he went for self-hypnosis one time and a month later they were gone. Wow. And, and the mother told me the story and I knew her well. It was her third child. And I remember like it was yesterday sitting in the exam room with her. And I asked, are you pulling my leg? Are you kidding me? She said, no. I said, okay. So I called Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital, the Children's Hospital in Cleveland. And I was referred to a professor of pediatrics named Karen Olmos. Didn't know her at all. Turned out she was internationally known in this field. Had co-written the book on pediatric hypnosis. And she was very gracious and agreed to see me as a patient. We met one time. She taught me a technique commonly used in adults that involves deep muscle group relaxation, muscle group by muscle group. Then she said, when your body's relaxed, you can go to a place in your mind where you feel happy, safe, and comfortable. And when you're in that special state of mind, Jeff, tell yourself, I will no longer feed the warts. Do this exercise 10 minutes twice a day and call me in a month. So every time I did it, I visualized the blood vessels constricting at the sides of the warts and actually felt tingling only where the warts were. It was really strange. Long story short, three weeks later, they were gone, never came back. Wow. 
and I called her, I said, I have to learn how to do this. It's remarkable. So I've been really fortunate. I've, I've received the best training from the top pediatric hypnosis people in the world, from the top adult hypnosis people in the world. And I've learned, as you have, David, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy under David Burns, one of the pioneers in the field. And so I feel very fortunate to have the training and tools that I can teach patients. So could you explain, so quick question, so how long had you had the warts before you underwent this? Oh, years and years, I don't even, it was. Really? <laughs> this, is, this is easily, you know, geez, it had to be, I, I'd had them for years and years and years. I don't remember exactly how often, but I, yeah. I, then they, they were growing, I, I ignored them and then they were growing and, and then they became painful and that's when I ultimately <laughs> saw the, the skin doctor, the dermatologist. Well, I mean, it's a pretty dramatic story. I mean, that's yeah. impressive, yeah. so. Could you explain to us, I mean, people hear the word hypnosis and they immediately think of, you know, television and TV and theater and sort of the, you know, the sort of the circus type hypnosis. And um, you have taught me that this is not what that is. Could you explain what medical hypnosis is, sort of the basis of why, of why it works and how it works? Sure. First, for the audience, I'd like to, if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk about what we call stage hypnosis or Hollywood hypnosis and then the differences. Sure. So... Um, when we, most people, when they think of stage hypnosis, what we, what we call stage hypnosis or Hollywood hypnosis, you think of the, the person with the swinging watch and it makes it look like mind control. And the way, that's what you see in movies and cartoons. And right. of course, there's no such thing as mind control. The way these stage hypnosis shows work is the hypnotist, notice I say hypnotist, not hypnotherapist, uh, asks for a volunteer and say eight people come up on stage. The hypnotist talks with them briefly to determine who's going to be the best subject. And he, he or she determines these five people are not going to be good subjects. So he says, thank you for volunteering. I can't work with, any, with everybody. I'm just going to work with these three. As those five are leaving the stage, he or she turns to the three others and say, it was nice of them to volunteer. I couldn't work with them. They're not smart enough. So remember, <sighs> these are people who already volunteered. Make me do something I wouldn't ordinarily do. Right. And, oh, I'm smart. I can do this. So okay. then, they, then they go through their patter, bark like a dog, quack like a chicken. And these people do this for reasons that we are not going to understand. Perhaps they wanted extra attention. Maybe they actually wanted to humiliate themselves. Uh, but, and afterwards they say, I can't believe it, I'm so embarrassed. But at some level, they were willing to do this. Now, let's say they do this, and then the hypnotist says, okay, bark like a dog, quack like a chicken, and they do that. Then the hypnotist says, okay, here's a gun. I want you to go down to the bank, rob the bank, and bring me all the money. They're never going to do that. Because no one would ever do, even in the state of hypnosis, anything that they wouldn't do in their usual state of mind. When I think of hypnosis, I think of a highly focused state of mind. Have you ever daydreamed? Of course. Have you ever been in the zone playing your sport? Have you ever been absorbed in a good book? People who are listening who have kids, you call your, the kids are playing video games, you call them for dinner, they don't even hear you. They're not being rude, they're just so focused and in the moment they don't hear you. You right. go to a movie, two hours go by, it seems like only 20 minutes. There's something called highway hypnosis. We've all had the experience of driving in the car when we miss our turn up. We weren't asleep. We were simply in a highly focused state of mind. And what we do with patients is we have patients choose a specific therapeutic goal. I want to control that pain. I want to control those ticks. I want to have dry beds at night. I want to get rid of the migraine headaches. I want to get rid of that IBS that I, that's been bothering me. So they choose a specific therapeutic goal, and then we help them create and empowering experience in their minds that allows them to realize that they're able to do things that they previously were not aware that they could do. And it's like any other skill that needs to be learned and practiced, just like kicking a soccer ball or playing the piano or acting in a school play 
as I tell my patients, I'm going to be your coach and, and you want to practice these things because just like kicking a ball, et cetera, the more you practice, the better you get at it. The more you practice, the easier it gets. The more you practice, the faster you get at it. Other right. similar terms to, to medical hypnosis include visualization, guided imagery, mental imagery, daydreaming with a focus. Those are all similar. And as, as, as many people who listen know, all the elite athletes use these visualization exercises to help visualize themselves performing well. And it's the same way it works. Neuroplasticity, as you well know, the brain literally changes itself. Right. So the idea is that you have a vision of what you want to accomplish, <clears throat> then you train your brain to focus on that more and more and more. And we both know through neuroplasticity, the brain actually grows new neurons and new connections actually to create that. So there's not, there's not some type of a psychological magical game. You're actually stimulating the brain to change structure. Exactly. The other factor, which I've now written a lot more about the last year, is that the essence of solving chronic pain is allowing you to control your body's chemistry in order to feel safe. And when you feel safe, your body's full of oxytocin, the love drug, serotonin, antidepressant, dopamine rewards drugs. And if you're full of these wonderful drugs, why you feel your sense of well-being and contentment goes up very, very high. And what you're doing with this, again, you can correct me, but to me, hypnosis is the capacity to teach yourself to use the word relax on demand. So you actually can induce a relaxed state of mind, which changes your body's chemistry that is physiological, not psychological. I think it's actually both. Um, okay. Then the, it can be psychological. Now, not everybody in the state of hypnosis is necessarily physically relaxed, especially younger kids that are often moving around, believe it or not. When we think of adults, typically, yes, and older and adolescents, typically they let their eyes close and they sit still and they're visualizing in their minds. But uh, sometimes the kids are, the younger kids especially, are, are moving around, they're kinesthetic. Doesn't mean they're not in that state of mind. But yeah, the traditional, or the, the most common, you know, that people think of with adults, they are physically and psychologically relaxed, but focused, highly focused. So they're, they're physiologically relaxed, but their minds, you know, it's not sleep, it's not a, and it's not an unusual, um, it, it's definitely not sleep nor an unusual state of consciousness. It's just a highly focused state of consciousness. I see. Okay. Yeah. And then as far as what you do, you're not swinging a wash in front of people. Um, I think we'll talk about this in the second podcast as far as the actual techniques. But I'm curious, um, I saw that one video that was dramatic, so I'd love to hear her story. And a couple of the stories maybe of people that have tried a lot of, quote, traditional medical treatments, which, by the way, have very little data behind them. But again, what you're doing both, again, what, I'm trying to differentiate that what you're doing though, you're inducing a very relaxed state of being, which involves both your mind and your body, but you're optimizing the body's function. So a lot of symptoms physically disappear, particularly things like irritable bowel and migraine headaches, et cetera. So this is not just sort of a short-term treat the symptoms. You actually solve people's problems. But do you, would you feel free discussing that one video sure. that I saw of that and, girl. And, and I want to make sure I don't solve anybody's problems. I teach some skills. And as I tell my patients, I'm going to teach you to teach your brain, to talk to your body, to solve your own problem. So my goal is to teach them how to help them help themselves. That's really what the bottom line is because I'm whatever time I meet with them with this an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it is, but then they have to go home and do this exercise. It's not like you go to me and I quote hypnotize you end quote, and then you get better. Right. I'm going to teach you skills and you're going to then go home and practice these skills. Right. So yeah, that, 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 the, the case that you're referring to was probably the most challenging 
case that most challenging patient I've ever had. And I say that in a, in a respectful, kind, affectionate way, uh, and therefore the most rewarding. This was a nine-year-old girl who was referred to me because she had a horrible vocal tick. And ticks, uh, there are two main types of ticks. One is a vocal tick. Any noise is considered a vocal tick. Sniff, grunt, snort. <coughs> <coughs> Any noise is considered. Could, could you explain to the audience what a tick is? Right. A, a tick is a, a, a sudden, um, what, what used to be believed, involuntary noise or movement. Uh, and there are, the, 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 there are two main types of ticks. Great question, thank you. Uh, a vocal tick is any noise, as I was saying. Commonly, people will have a cough tick or cough habit, and I call ticks and habits the same thing. I use the term interchangeably, so. <clears throat> uh, sniffling, grunting, coughing, snorting. <clears throat> any noise that would, that would qualify as a, a vocal tick or vocal habit. Okay. When, it, when it's, obviously people don't want this to happen. Okay. Motor tick is, an, it's a, there are two main types of motor ticks. One is a simple motor tick, a quick movement, such as just jerking your arm or blinking your eye, or a complex or sustained tick where a few muscle groups are involved and it, it's a little longer. In the past, ticks were always felt to be involuntary, but in fact, most patients, when they're concentrating intently on something, can control them. And I hear all the time from parents and that, hey, my kid has this tick, but when he's playing baseball or when she's playing the piano or when she's reciting her lines in the school play, it's gone. So that's very, very common. Also, the one thing for the audience to hear, and this is something that if you, if you take nothing else away from this conversation, this, is, this would make me the happiest. Ticks are always absent while you're sleeping. Always, you know, so often people say, well, gee, the cough keeps them up at night. Well, it may keep him or her up until they fall asleep. But once they're asleep, typically the tick is gone. So that's, if, if we stop the conversation here and, and, and people just remember that, I'd be thrilled because I cannot tell you how many people I see, the typical case I see, like the girl you're talking about. So she had this horrible inspiratory and expiratory vocal tick or vocal habit. I can't, I can't even. <gasps> Like you'd hear a, a, a horrible caricature of a donkey going, <gasps> it was in, when she breathed in and out. And it, was, it had gone on for seven weeks. It was just awful. They had seen, and the, the poor family, and I'm blessed with children. And this, this, it was so painful for, for me to hear about this and to, to hear the parents' story first. I, I, and I, I can't imagine how frustrating this must have been for them and for the girl and how painful. And, and they, they must have felt frustrated and sad and worried and and discouraged and it just broke my heart. I'm blessed with two daughters and I remember many years ago, someone wise once told me we as parents are as happy and healthy as our least happy, healthy child. So I, my heart went out to them. And so when she came in, her cough, her, I called it a cough habit, but it was more than that. It was so severe, I didn't know when to talk with her because it happened when she was breathing out and when she breathed in. And so I decided to talk with her while she was breathing in because it was a quieter sound. And so it was severe. The mother said the night before it had gone on for three hours straight every five seconds. I mean, it was just exhausting. And the girl had missed the last seven weeks of school. She had been to so many different clinicians. She had been to her pediatrician. She had been to an allergist. She had been to a pulmonologist. She had been to the ear, nose, and throat doctor. She had been to the neurologist. I mean, all these kids, you know, they, they had, when they, by the time they see me, they have the same story or similar stories. Tried on every asthma medicine you can imagine, inhalers, bronchodilators, et cetera, 
prednisone. She even received an injection of, of prednisone, which is a very painful injection. Um, she had been, she had tried homeopathy. A lot of times they, they, they say, oh, she has GERD, uh, gastroesophageal reflux, where, you know, so that maybe that was contributing to it, which it wasn't, of course. But again, the, what was striking to me is that it was always absent while she was asleep. And if the physicians had just asked that, that, that should be the red flag that this was a tick. Anyway, so she came in and at the first visit, it, you know, she was a mess. And then at the second visit, we, we taught, we, I taught her hypnosis. And uh, so, and you asked how is this done? So there's something in hypnosis we call the induction. So commonly people will go to their favorite place. So now can you imagine a place you'd like to be? Maybe it's an activity you enjoy. Maybe it's a place that you've visited in the past. Perhaps it's someplace that exists only in your imagination. Can you think of such a place? And they nod their head. Yes, and some people, you can, some people like to tell me where they are. Some people prefer to keep it private. Either way is absolutely fine with me. And with this, most kids, will, you know, they're, they have, they're happy to share where they are. She was nine years old. She, she wanted to go to Antarctica. So in her mind, she was in Antarctica. And I said, that's great. Look around and notice what those eyes see. You can notice what those ears hear. And can you smell anything? And she said, yeah, I smell chicken. I said, oh, you really like chicken. It's really so, you know, odd to hear someone in Antarctica smelling chicken, but that's the power of the imagination. And so then I said, and do you see any snow there? And so I said, imagine the feeling right before that noise used to come only this time, put up a stop sign. And she did. And, and, and kids are very kinesthetic. She literally lifted her hand up as if she would, you know, signal someone to stop. Adults typically don't do that, um, which is fine either way. And then she said, I'd rather throw something. I said, okay, so now you can go back to your special place in Antarctica. And she was there very quickly because kids, kids are very open to this. And they do this very beautifully and very quickly. And I said, imagine the feeling right before that cough used to come. Only this time, you see some snow over there? Yeah, so can you transfer it down? Instead of letting that cough come out through your mouth and your throat and your neck, you can transfer it from that neck down to that shoulder, to that elbow that hand to the snow and you can make a snowball and then what's going to happen when you throw the snowball away and she threw it away and then it went away it's incredible so you just said on that one time. exercise at that that was her exercise that worked and i mean i go through several different techniques when I, I meet with the kids and i meet with the parents first to see what are the kids hobbies and interests and sports and then i want to i individualize it there's no script for this every patient is every session is tailored individually for every patient but so she was interested in, so that was what she did. And kids who play piano, they can just play, imagine that feeling right before that cough used to come or whatever tick, and you can transfer it down to those, from the shoulder to those elbows, to those hands and play it out through the piano. But for her, the one that worked best was throwing the snowball. And, within, and then after that visit, she started sleeping better. I remember the father was so grateful and he was crying. He said, thank you so much. And you know, she's sleeping better. On a scale of zero to 10, before we met you, the tick was at a 20, he said. <laughs> and after the second visit, it was down to a six or seven. She was sleeping better. And after a, a, a couple more visits, it was much better. And, and what, was, what was really striking, so after a few visits, then, you know, it was so rewarding because here was this girl who was literally a mess. It affected the quality of not only her life, but of her parents' life. Right. And, and, the, the, you know, and then after a few visits, she's fine, back to her old self. And what was striking to me, I, I asked her, what, what did you learn? What advice do you have for other clinicians who treat patients like this? And to me, the most meaningful thing was when she said, you know, I've been to lots of doctors. I've been to 10 or more doctors and everybody, all the doctors talk to the adults, you know, the, the people who aren't sick. So they talk to my parents or whoever's there and they're not talking to me and I'm the patient. 
And so it was really so striking to me that she had that insight. And then, uh, and I said, well, you know, and I said, I, I talked to you directly. She said, yeah, that was very helpful. And, and, and thank you. I said, and I, all I did was help, you know, I just, I, you were, you know, you're smart, you're motivated. All I did was teach you some skills. And then at the end, she said, you helped me to help myself. And that was, right. those were her words. So, and, and I was humbled. I, I, when I lectured in Abu Dhabi, I, I showed this video to a world-renowned surgeon, a pediatric surgeon in, in, in Abu Dhabi. And he came up to me, he was crying. He said, thank you so much. He said, and I've been practicing pediatric surgery for my, my entire life. He was in his 60s easily. He said, that little girl's, what she said about talking to the child, changed my practice as of today. So wow. that was, yeah. Well, I had to say, I saw the video, I was at the seminar, and it's remarkably disturbing how disabled this person was. And then how many visits did it take Jeff to get her out of the home? She was better after two and she was, she was cured after five visits. Yeah. I mean, these are not subtle changes. And so, um, no, it's really dramatic. And so you also, any, so I'm just curious, was there a circumstance or event that seemed to set this off for her? No, it just no, came on. No. Yeah, sometimes there is something, you know, a a trauma, someone dies or something like that, or a bully's picking on someone. Right. But but no, often it just happens. It just happens. Wow. Um, You also use these techniques. So basically medical hypnosis, you're basically calming down everything, right? The calming the mind down, calming the body down. What what are you accomplishing with medical hypnosis from a... um, neuroscience physiological basis well i think a couple of things you know as you were pointing out increased parasympathetic in most patients not everybody you know again right. some of the kids you know if you had a little five-year-old boy with migraines and he, he liked swinging on the swing so in the chair he's literally swinging back and moving back and forth swinging like this okay um, but most people so i wouldn't say that he would that his parasympathetic system in, improved um, right so but most people adults and, and adolescents typically increased parasympathetic, decreased sympathetic, as you were talking about the stress hormones and such. Right. So you, you gain more control of your heart. You're in by, for the lay audience, um, the sympathetic system, when that increases, our hearts race. Uh, it's the flight or fight phenomenon, basically. Our right. hearts go faster, we breathe faster, our palms sweat, we get butterflies in our stomach, our muscles get tense and tight because it's, you know, it, it, it's, 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 we react the same way as if there's a grizzly bear here. It's more important right. for us to pump muscles to our blood to our muscles, to pump blood to our muscles so we can fight the bear or run away from it than it is to digest lunch, which is why we get, you know, butterflies in our stomachs. Um, does, does that answer part of your question, David? Yeah. And then do you have a, um, also you get a story, you also, cause you'll also apply this to irritable bowel syndrome also, oh, correct? Yeah. And this is one of the most frustrating, you know, problems to see because um, there's a, and, and hypnosis has been shown there have been a number of studies in the a lot of studies in the adult literature to support the use of hypnosis and also in the pediatric literature um, and and so irritable bowel syndrome is is a condition in which patients have symptoms such as nausea pain vomiting diarrhea and or constipation okay. and or any of those things and so and in, in all the symptoms are real but the test results are normal. So right. you, you have normal blood tests, you have normal ultrasound, normal CT scans, normal endoscopy, normal colonoscopy. Right. So, and there's really no medication. It's such a frustrating problem for families and such a frustrating problem for physicians and, and right. nurse practitioners and other clinicians to treat because there's no medication that works for this. So hypnosis has been shown to help. Also, interestingly, so hypnosis I found is great to help the symptom, 
and it can help anxiety, but all these patients also have anxiety. And it turns right. out that anxiety is one of the biggest triggers for these, you know, the mind-body connection, as you were right. alluding to before. So, you know, increased worrying leads to increased symptom, meaning more diarrhea or pain or nausea, and then increased symptom leads to increased worrying, and it becomes a vicious circle. Right. The, the most common example would be, I'm thinking of an 11-year-old girl, girl who I saw who had uh, tummy aches Monday through Friday morning. Saturday and Sunday, she's fine. Monday morning, the tummy aches start. Well, you don't have to be a clinician to figure out that there was something going on with school. And whether it was maybe a bully or a learning issue or a mean teacher, something like that. And so, uh, but, so and I, but when I see kids like this, I say, and I learned from my colleague and friend, Marianne Alt-Richet, a wonderful social worker and family therapist, you have a very smart tummy. Think about it, because when you have a tummy ache, it tells you there's something going on that's upsetting you. So it's, if it's Monday through Friday, there's something at school that's upsetting you. So you, you turn into a positive. So I wonder what it is that's upsetting you. And then I said, do you want to work on the worrying? Or she says, I'm worried about it. you want to work on the worrying first or the symptom first? She said, the symptom first. I said, fine. So we worked on the symptom. And after two visits, she was fine. And she was back at school. And then the third visit, she wanted to work on the worrying. And, and I remember she was a very talented uh, I have to be careful because I don't want to violate any HIPAA uh, things that, you know, I have to be careful. But she was a very talented uh, musician and she won a big competition and uh, she, uh, they got this letter congratulating her and her mother said, well, remember you have a music lesson today and then we have to pick up your sister and then we have to go grocery shopping. And the girl was very angry at her mother because her mother didn't say, hey, congratulations, I'm so proud of you. And at that moment, she developed a huge stomachache because she was upset. So I said, again, you have a huge, when you get upset, whether you're angry or whether you're worried, you know, your tummy's telling you there's something going on. So you have to work, you have to work on. And, and I'd like to be clear, many of the audience already knows this from reading my work, but see, when people talk about stress and worry causing stomach pain, there's a tendency amongst physicians and parents and friends say, well, this is imaginary pain. You're just, you're stressed out. So Stress represents a profound change in your bodily state of being. Your autonomic nervous system is fired up. There's an imbalance between your sympathetic and parasympathetic nerves. Your body chemistry goes way off. We do know when you follow up the stress hormones that actually decreases the blood supply to the stomach and the bladder, and also the whole change in sympathetic tone changes. And when you're under stress, you actually have less gastric motility because you're, you're blood supply is going to the muscles, not to your stomach. In other words, your stomach exactly. sort of goes dormant. And so what you're doing is a physiological issue as the, I know the psychological aspects to it, but the end result that causes the symptoms is a change in the body's physiology, correct? Exactly. And there's a strong mind-body connection. And as you point out, when we're feeling upset, when there's something wrong with us emotionally, when we're not ourselves emotionally, it affects us physically. And when there's something affecting us physically, it of course affects us emotionally. And there's one more thing I want to add as far as the irritable bowel syndrome. And, and you know, these are all what's called functional gastrointestinal disorders, um, meaning all the test results are normal, but the symptoms are real. These, these kids and these adults are not making up their pain or their nausea. It's real. And so you go to the doctor and you said, it's imaginary pain. It's not imaginary pain. It's physiological. It's, it's, it's real. Right. And, and there's something called inflammatory bowel disease, right. which, which means you take a biopsy and you look under the microscope Yes, someone has ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or something like that. And hypnosis and cognitive behavioral therapy have been shown to help patients with those inflammatory bowel diseases. This blows right. my mind. It's one thing to understand how hypnosis can help something, someone with normal test results. But to think that it can actually help 
decrease the inflammation and decrease visits to the doctors and decrease, I mean, that's just absolutely mind blowing. Our mind well, is so powerful. Yeah, well, it's incredible. I mean, I got introduced to a Dr. Stephen Porges who authored a book called The Polyvagal Theory in 2011. Turned out he's been doing research on this for the last 40 years. And the bottom line is that the vagus nerve or the autonomic nervous system is the neurochemical axis that affects inflammation. So chronic stress, which again is chronic elevation of stress hormones, has a 40% higher chance of causing inflammatory bowel disease, like you just mentioned, than not. So a study came out of Sweden about six months ago, finally documented this connection between chronic stress, i.e. chronic elevations of stress hormones and inflammation. But again, it's through that neurochemical axis through the vagus nerve. So you have the immune system affected, you have the inflammatory process respected, the endocrine system is affected. So remember, the body chemistry changes in response to the environment. The neurochemical changes at that part of the body is actually mediated through the autonomic nervous system. So that's where you're seeing real structural changes where you actually look in the microscope and see the inflammation as you change the body's stress response and chemical profile, those physical changes actually reverse. It's pretty remarkable. And I, I, I didn't really understand this until I started working with Dr. Stephen Porter just a little bit. So Jeff, thanks for this Thanks for this first part of the podcast. We'll talk about some more details in, in the second half, but this is wonderful. I just wanna emphasize that I thought that medical hypnosis is one of the most powerful tools in our healing armamentarium. I am also on a bit of a mission to get tools like this into mainstream practice. From my perspective, this is mainstream medicine, acknowledged the body's physiology. And we'll talk about this in the second half. I don't like the idea of mind-body connection. To me, it's just a unit, just a unit. Oh, I like and it. so we'll talk yeah. about that in the second half. I'll give you my two cents on it. I try to listen to my audience, but I always I can't help putting my two cents in here and there. So we'll talk about that in the second half. But anyway, Jeff, thanks for this part of the podcast. So just to review really quickly, um, Jeff practices in Menlo Park. He's in private practice. He's a pediatrician. He's been doing medical hypnosis for about 20 years. And anything that is stress-related that creates physical changes, um, migraine headaches, headaches, um, ticks, irritable bowel, these are dramatic changes. These are, these are not subtle problems. And I think what's exciting for both Jeff and I is that most physicians do not like treating chronic pain or chronic conditions because they don't know what to do. Their problem is mainstream, what I call mainstream medicine, which I think, by the way, should be on the defensive, doesn't, they're treating symptoms, they're not treating the root cause. And so medical hypnosis is one of those things that goes right at the root cause of an imbalance of your body's stress chemistry with a direct effect on the different organs in your body. So any other final comments, Jeff? Did I, did I say that correctly? Perfectly. Absolutely. No, it's, it's an honor to be included in your show, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to help spread the word about these powerful tools. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Lazarus, for being on the program today and for explaining what medical hypnosis is and how it works, and also for sharing some examples of how this powerful technique brings about healing. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Hello, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom.